Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. As you turn to Revelation chapter 4, I want to ask you, what will heaven be like? When you think of heaven, what comes to your mind? Does your mind come up with fluffy clouds and bright lights? Or will people be floating from cloud to cloud with harps and halos on their head? There are many uh, popular illustrations where you see pearly gates and an entrance to heaven as the entrance to heaven, but many of these are misconceptions about what heaven is really like. There won't be pearly gates. That's actually um, found in the New Jerusalem. There's 12 gates and 12 pearls, and that New Jerusalem comes out of heaven. So there isn't these pearly gates as an entrance to heaven. But today we're going to look at what get a glimpse of what heaven is like, get a little taste of it. We're not going to see everything, but we're going to get a scene, a scene from the throne room of heaven. So we're going to get a heavenly perspective. As we are on earth, we're going to see what God sees in heaven. And so we start our study in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. When we began our study in the book of Revelation, we talked about many keys to help us understand the book of Revelation. Does anybody remember any of those keys? Can you give me one of those keys? Lord Jesus is the theme of the book. book. Good. We want to look for Jesus. We want to see Jesus in this, in this book because the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what the book is about, the revealing, the uncovering, the unveiling of who Jesus Christ is. So we want to see Jesus. In this chapter, we have another key, and that's after these things. It's mentioned eight times in the book. What is he talking about? What does that mean, after these things? Well, if we go back to another key that we had, It gave us the outline for the book, and it's a three-part outline. And so we'll look at that for a second. So we have here, the first one is, John was told in Revelation 119 by Jesus to write the things that you, write the things which are. That was found in chapter one, the things that had already happened up to this point. And then Paul, I mean, uh, John was to write the things which are, and that is the current chapter 2 through 3, which deals with the churches. And it talked about the seven letters, or it's when John uh, gave this, when uh, John wrote about the seven letters to the seven churches. um, And it includes the church age, which we are currently still in. We're still in the church age. And the church age started at the day of Pentecost and will end at the rapture. And we studied this two weeks ago, and I'd uh, recommend you go back and listen to that message, because it's very good, to talk about the rapture. But we want to stress again that the church will not go through the tribulation. The church will not be going through the tribulation. We'll be raptured, caught up into heaven before that. And it's clear in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 that, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord. Jesus Christ. 
We believe that the rapture is imminent, meaning that it can happen at any moment. No one knows the day or the hour. The Lord could come before the sermon is over. We see more and more indicators every day that the end is near. Even as of yesterday, Israel is at war. We saw an earthquake last night in, um, I think, um, Afghanistan. Just more and more indicators that God is coming back and Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Believers, are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you looking forward to his return? Are you living your life as though the Lord could come back at any moment? Are we using our time on this earth to witness to the lost who need to know him? And finally, we come to the third point of the outline, which is where we are today. John is to write about the things which will take place after these things. That means that from chapter 4, which is the book or the chapter we're in today, until the end of the book, has to do with future events. It's the prophetic part of Revelation. And then the, to be clear, too, that the, the following events that we're going to look at are all um, literal events, and it's all chronological in a timeline. And if you look through that section, you see that the church is no longer mentioned after chapter uh, 3, all the way until chapter 19, when it's the talk, talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we don't see the church on earth anymore in all of the book of Revelation. Church is not mentioned. Up until this point, the scene that John is describing, the scene that he's writing about, was on this earth. He was talking to the churches. Jesus was talking to the churches. It was all on earth. And now we have a transitional point where the, it's as if it was a movie scene. You're on earth, and now the camera is panning up to heaven. And so the rest we'll be focusing is in heaven. What does John see? What does he see? Behold, he says, behold, a door standing open in heaven. In Revelation 3.20, we saw a door was closed. The door was closed to Jesus, and he was on the outside. Now we see an open door in heaven. What is heaven? The Bible teaches us that there are three heavens. We know that Paul was caught up to the third heaven. So there must be two other heavens. Well, the first one, if you walk outside, you'll see the sky the heavens that the birds and the clouds are in, the atmosphere. And then the second heaven is what's beyond our atmosphere. It's outer space. It's the moon, the stars, the solar system, the planets, all that God has created outside of this world. And then the third heaven. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you, there you may be also. Heaven is a place of no mores. There will be no more nights, no more curse, no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, nor more pain. The former things have, been, have passed away. There will be no more night, for the glory of the Lord will illuminate the city. Heaven is also the dwelling place of God. Heaven is God's throne. If someone were to ask you for directions, how do I get to heaven? Would you be able to give them? 
We don't know how to physically get there. You can't just keep going on outer space and you'll finally get there. You can't build a tower to heaven. That was tried already. You can't get into a rocket and fly to heaven. It's in an unknown location. We don't know where it is. But how do we get there? How do we get to heaven? The Bible teaches us that there is only one way to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. John saw a door standing open in heaven. He saw this door standing there. What does that door remind you of? Jesus said in John 10, 19, 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. After Jesus said he was going away, the disciples responded to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's exclusive. You cannot get to heaven by any other means. No other person, religion, being a good person can get you into heaven. But praise God there is a way. Praise God that that, made, that way was made possible by Jesus Christ's death on the cross that he was buried and died in your place. And he rose again. Have you taken that door? Have you taken that door? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Because there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus. And Jesus is coming again soon. Next, there's a voice that John hears. It says, And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. John hears a voice like a trumpet speaking. It's actually the same voice that he heard in Revelation 1.10, where he heard, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trump, as of a trumpet. This was the voice of Jesus, which is now telling John, Come up here. Come up here. Now, while the rapture is, as an event, is not specifically described here in the book of Revelation, many look at this as a picture, an illustration of the rapture of the church. John, he is part of the church, is told, come up here. We know that those who are alive and remain will be caught up, will be caught up into the, into the air to be with the Lord. In Revelation 4.1, John hears a voice like a trumpet. What does that remind you of? The rapture will begin with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God. And at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will be taken home to heaven and we'll be forever with the Lord. So it's a picture, an illustration of, of what's to come. Because we know, again, that chapter, all the way to chapter 3 is dealing with the earth. The church is raptured, and then we're in heaven going forward. The church will not be on this earth during the, during the tribulation. Moving on to verse 2. Verse 2 says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. Another key to understanding the book of Revelation is to look for the throne. 
We want to see what does it talk about the throne. In the book of Revelation, it says, uses the word throne 46 times. In just chapters 4 and 5, we see it mentioned 19 times. So look for the throne. There's many descriptions of the throne. There's a throne that was set, one who sat on the throne. There's things around the throne. There's 24 thrones. There's things proceeding from the throne and before the throne and in the midst of the throne. So we want to pay attention when we see repetition like this. So what do we learn about the throne that John sees? First, we learn that the throne is set, set in heaven. What does that tell us? It tells us that this throne is um, immovable. It's established. It's permanent. God's throne in heaven is permanent. It is everlasting. Next, we see that there's someone who's on the throne, sitting on the throne, and the one who's sitting on the throne is the Lord himself. God the Father is on the throne. God seated on the throne is important too because God on the throne means he is the one ruling. He is the one reigning. It means that God is in control. God is on the throne. He is the ultimate and final say. His throne is the ultimate and final say. If we look at Revelation, or, um, Psalm 45, verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is your scepter of your kingdom. God's throne is eternal. In Psalm 47, it says, For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. God is the one who's the ruler over all. We think that we have kingdoms and powers here on earth that are very powerful, but God is the one that oversees and rules them all. It's comforting to know that God is still on the throne. When you look at the world around us, we see the world spitting out of control. We see earthquakes, rumors of wars, pandemics, financial uncertainty, political instability. But do we realize when we see this that God is still on the throne? When wicked, why do wicked leaders and authorities seem to get away with evil things? if God is still on the throne. In Psalm 2, it says, Why do the nations rage and people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. What is the Lord's response? He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The one who sits on the throne will laugh. When, they, when he sees the, the nations trying to go against him, God's throne cannot be overthrown. It lasts forever. God's throne is the ultimate power and authority, and nothing happens apart from his sovereign will. God's throne is higher than any other earthly throne. It's the only throne that will last, and it's the only throne that matters in the end. Aren't you glad that God is the one sitting on the throne? God is the one that is in control. If we take a step back too and think about your own life, are you going through a trial right now where your world feels like it's spinning out of control? Maybe you're going through some difficult times in your life. 
you can remember that God is on the throne. God is the one who is still in control. Though trials may press us and burdens distress us, he will not leave us alone. His promise is true. He will not forget you. God is still on the throne. Next, what does he see? In Revelation 3, uh, verse 3, 4, 3, it says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. You have to take a minute to look at what John is looking at. What John is describing is something he has never seen before. These are, he's going to use words like or as to describe things in ways that would help us best understand them in today's terms or help the reader best understand. And so we want to help us relate to these things. So John sees what looks like jasper and sardius stones. And I don't know the last time I've seen one of those before, except for studying this passage. But to help us understand it, in Revelation 21.11, it says about the new Jerusalem that her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the jasper stone is like a brilliant crystal, really, really clear. It would probably be similar to us like a diamond. And the sardius stone is like a deep ruby red color. And these stones um, were both included in the foundation of the New Jerusalem. These stones form a really brilliant color and speak of the glory and the majesty of the one who's on the throne. And the red may indicate the fiery judgment that's about to come upon this world, upon this earth. And so you have all these colors showing, and then you have a rainbow around the throne, an emerald-colored rainbow. What do these stones represent? Well, in the, New Test in the Old Testament, you can go back, the high priest wore a breastplate that contained 12 stones, and two of those stones, the jasper and the sardius stone, were on there. The first one was um, jasper, and the last one was sardius. Jasper re represents Jacob's firstborn son. Reuben, and the last stone represents his lastborn son, uh, Benjamin. And those, the, word, the, the name that they were called, Reuben means, behold a son. And Benjamin means, son of my right hand. As we said, it was one of the keys, we want to see Jesus. And so I believe that these stones can be pointing to Jesus as the chief high priest. Behold a son, we read in John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten um, of the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. And in Hebrews, um, after Jesus had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so we see a, a, an illustration or a picture of Jesus through these stones. Next we see a rainbow around the throne. And this one is actually a full circle rainbow. On earth, you can't see the whole rainbow because it's, covered, it's stopped by the ground. But if you were in an airplane, you might see the full circle of the rainbow that goes around. What does the rain, rainbow remind you of? It reminds me of Noah. 
After the flood, God placed a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his promise to Noah and his descendants, and those also include me and you, to never destroy the earth with a flood. The rainbow speaks of God's faithfulness to keep his promises. It reminds me of how God was gracious to Noah and his family. God told Noah of the impending judgment, that he was going to wipe the, the people off the face of this earth. And Noah took heed to that warning, Noah and his family, and provided a way of salvation. But I also think, too, of the, the people that were on the earth at the time. God showed his long-suffering to those people of Noah's day by warning them that destruction was coming. He warned them that this was going to happen. And God is doing the same thing today. He is warning people that this is what's going to happen. He's gracious in telling us all these things in the book of Revelation, that this is exactly what I'm going to do to this earth. He's saying that judgment is near. There's going to be a tribulation period, followed by a great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of this world until this time, no, nor, shall, nor ever shall be. And he tells us that those who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus will face a great white throne judgment and ultimately the lake of fire. God is being gracious and patient, warning this world that judgment is coming, that the end is near. But God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Will you trust him today if you don't know him? Next in verse 4, we read, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. First, John sees the throne, and he sees one that's sitting on the throne, and then around this throne are 24 thrones, and there are elders sitting on these thrones. And who are these elders? Who are these 24 elders sitting on the throne? What do they mean? Well, there are a lot of different views of who these elders are, but let's look at what the scripture says. First, it says there are 24 thrones and 24 elders. The number 24, I believe, is significant. We see it used to represent a larger collective group. If you look at Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 24 and 25, you'll see that David took and divided the priests into 24 different people, and they would be representatives of the larger group of priests. He did the same thing with the musicians in the next chapter, where he took 24 musicians that would serve and also represented their larger group of musicians. And so the number 24 could be used to represent a larger group. There were more Levites than just the 24 who served as priests, but the 24 meant represented the whole. So we have 24 elders, and if they represent a larger group, who do they represent? But while there are various different views of who these elders are, I believe they represent the church. I want to give you five reasons why. First, we see that there are elders. Some have said the elders represent angels, but the Bible doesn't refer to angels. Sorry, go back to that one. Um, first, the Bible doesn't refer, refer to angels as elders. The word is only used for men in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. 
the word for elders. And the same word, the same Greek word for elder is used for the elder of a church. And also, look at what they're wearing. What does it say they're wearing in this thing? They're wearing white robes. This white robes were promised to the church in Revelation 3, 4. He says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, which really speaks of the righteousness of these people. And um, the third thing is that they, were, they wore crowns of gold. And this was a specific type of crown. If you look at the word, crown is not used for um, like a king or a, uh, a ruler, but this is a victory crown. This is a crown that's won after winning a race or winning as an athlete that would win a race. And what does that remind you of? We don't see angels given crowns, but there are many per- promises in the New Testament to the church, to believers in the church that will be rewarded with the crown of life. 1 Corinthians 9 says that there will be an imperishable crown. 2 Timothy talks about the crown of righteousness. And 1 Peter says the crown of glory which that does not fade away. These are promises as rewards to believers for faithful service. And so I believe that what we see here is the elders represent the church, the 24 elders representing of the church who have been rewarded for service, which means that the judgment seat of Christ, which is meant for believers from the church, they would have gone through that. They would have been rewarded, and that's why they're wearing crowns on their heads. Next, we see that they're, they're in heavenly bodies. We see them wearing crowns. They're wearing robes and seated on thrones. These would be the resurrected and raptured saints or believers from the church as they've been given a new and glorified body. It's clear that this couldn't be tribulation saints because we still haven't got to the tribulation yet. It hasn't happened yet. They will be resurrected later, but that hasn't happened. This also couldn't be Old Testament saints because their bodies are resurrected at the end of the tribulation. and We're not there yet either. And some have said that it could be Israel, but Israel as a nation has not yet been saved. Israel as a nation hasn't been saved yet. They haven't looked at the one who, whom they pierced. And so we believe that these 24 elders could be representative of the church. And we see the response of the elders too in chapter 5 where they fall down and worship the, uh, the one who sits on the throne. They cast their crowns before him. And they say, they sing to the Lamb, uh, they, sing, they fall before the Lamb, I'm sorry, and they sing a new song, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This is a song of ones who have been redeemed, who have been, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The angels are not redeemed people, but believers, the church is redeemed. So we have a scene here of 24 elders around the throne which represent the church who has been raptured. They have been resurrected, redeemed, and rewarded. Again, it's very comforting to see this because we know that the church will not go through the tribulation. Praise the Lord. Instead, we'll be in heaven singing his praises for what he has done and um, who he is. And now we go to verse 5. 
And from the thrones proceeded lightnings, thunders, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were before the, burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We, we, you'll see this throughout the book of Revelation, where you'll see lightning and thundering. This really speaks of the righteous judgment of God, the, one that, the wrath that's coming. It would probably be a really terrifying sight to see what John saw. And we know that as believers, we're used to hearing the phrase that we boldly enter the throne of grace, boldly come before the throne of grace. And now as we transition to God's judgment to this earth, transitions to a throne of justice and righteousness and judgment and wrath. And it's very similar to the scene that you've seen in, Revelation, or in Exodus where God is on Mount Sinai and there were thundering and lightnings coming from there. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments there. It speaks that God is going to judge. Judgment is coming. And now what's before the throne? We see in front of the throne are seven lamps. Seven lamps of fire. And these aren't the seven lampstands from earlier in the book. Those represented the seven churches. But thankfully, we have an explanation. The seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. And we see this also in Revelation 1.4. Um, now, this isn't the first time the Holy Spirit has been um, shown in a visual representation. We see this happen in, uh, in John, where um, John describes the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And on the day of Pentecost, you have the Holy Spirit uh, represented as divided tongues, as, as divided tongues as a fire that sat upon each of them. And I think without this visual representation, there would have been no way for us to understand or realize that the Holy Spirit is there because you cannot see him. And so you have the seven lamps that represent the Holy Spirit. And I believe the number seven is important, which the number seven is used many times in the book of Revelation, which speaks of perfection or completion. And I do want to be clear that we don't believe that there are seven Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. Many believe that the seven, um, it, seven refers to a sevenfold um, ministry of the Spirit. And they point to Isaiah 11.2, which says, lists seven things, seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. The seven, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon, sorry, let me say it one more time. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, the understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the, spirit and the fear of the Lord. And so you have seven different aspects or ministries of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 4, 6 through 8, it says that before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each having six wings, were full of eyes and round and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. We see a sea of glass in front before the throne of God. It wasn't actually a sea of water, but crystal clear glass. And with all the colors and uh, rainbows, thunders and lightnings, it would have been an awesome, wonderful sight. And now we have four living creatures. Let's look at how they're described. They have eyes in the front and back. Each of them have six wings. And those wings have eyes within and around. And this is a, just a depiction of, of what the throne like, could look like, but, or these um, creatures could look like. The descriptions here are similar to the descriptions in Isaiah and Ezekiel. And there are differences, but it's very similar as the ones described there. Ezekiel 10.8 says that the four living creatures are cherubim. And so it's likely that these four living creatures are exalted angels who worship the Lord and are ready to serve him and do as he um, commands. And we see um, throughout the book of Revelation that these four living creatures have a unique part in um, playing with the, or handing out the seals and uh, delivering the, the golden bowls of wrath. So why do these creatures look this way? Why do they have these appearances? What, what do they represent? And some have said that these represent all creatures who really give honor and glory to the Lord. Psalm 156 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We also want to see Jesus. We want to look for Jesus. And so um, there are very, very interesting um, um, symbols and um, pictures that are shown here. And so as we look at the lion, um, the lion is the king of the beasts. And many have likened the, the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle to the four gospels and that they see Jesus um, described there. And so in the book of Matthew, we have Jesus as king. The calf would represent the um, service of an ox, represents continuous labor. And we see Jesus came um, as a lowly servant in the book of Mark. We see the phrase used immediately over and over again as service. We see man as the um, the greatest creature that God created. Um, Jesus came as the Son of Man. And we see in Luke that Jesus came to this earth as a man, that Jesus um, is fully human. And then we see the eagle, which soars above in the heavens. And in the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus is represented as the Son of God. And as the eagle soars in the heaven, it represents that... Um, the sovereignty and the supremacy of Jesus. And we see that Jesus is clearly portrayed as the Son of God. So Jesus is a um, fully God and fully man. But what's also really interesting about these living creatures is not just what they look like, but also what they're doing. We see them that they do not rest day or night giving praise and honor. They are continuously giving this, um, singing this praise or, or saying this 
this, this phrase, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They speak of God's holiness, of his mighty, um, all, that he is almighty, all-powerful, sovereign ruler, and he is the eternal one who is and who was, who was and is and is to come. Imagine if we were to live like those four living creatures, praising God nonstop for who he was, for who he is. Do we worship the Lord like we should? Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then what happens with these living creatures? Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist. By your will they exist and were created. <clears throat> we see a constant flow of praise given to the one who sits on the throne. Every time the living creatures give glory and honor and praise, then you have the 24 elders falling down before the throne, casting their crowns at his feet, and then praising the Lord again. And they continue this, this cycle, night and day, day and night. They do not rest. Imagine what it would be like to be before this throne, to, to be before the throne of God, to be surrounded by these 24 thrones and these elders and the lightnings and the thunders and the, the sights and the four living creatures and then just hearing the praise being um, attributed to the one who is the king of kings and is worthy to receive this praise, to receive the honor and glory and power. He is the only one who deserves it. What a scene this would be to be a part of. Well, we will be a part of it. <laughs> the world does not give God the worship and honor he deserves, though. The world does not recognize the Lord as the creator and the ruler of all things. But it is refreshing to see that in the scene of heaven, God has given that praise. It is refreshing to see praise attributed to him. In the weeks to come, we will see the judgment and wrath of God poured out on this earth. There will be nothing to compare it to. It will be a horrible, horrible time. And yet I'm reminded again of the rainbow that goes around the throne and as a reminder of God's promise and that God will keep his promises. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know that judgment is coming, and God is graciously waiting. He's waiting and waiting and waiting. He's long-suffering because he wants the world to know that there is um, wrath coming, that there is to flee from the wrath to come. 
He wants all to come to know him. How do I get to heaven? The only way is through Jesus Christ. Are you ready for Christ's return? Today is the day of salvation. Do not put it off to another day. If you know, your, if you know the Lord this morning, you can be comforted to know that we'll be raptured, we'll be caught up, resurrected. And when Jesus takes us um, home to be with him forever, we will be there uh, worshiping the Lord and um, praising the Lord for what he has done for us. Are you longing to see him face to face? Are you looking forward to that day? The Lord is coming again quickly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and for the, the, clear, um, the clear future that you have for us, Lord, that you, that you lay it out so plainly and clearly that uh, where we will be. Um, Lord, we thank you for this visual um, sight of the scene of heaven, Lord, and to realize that you are the one who is on the throne, that you are the one ruling and in control. We pray, Lord, that um, we would live in light of that fact that you are on the throne and that your throne and the, the kingdom of heaven is the only one that matters. Lord, we pray that we would be witnessing to our friends, our coworkers, to let them know um, that the end is near, that judgment is coming. We want to warn them to flee from the wrath to come. We pray, Lord, for anyone that doesn't know you, that you would uh, open their eyes to the the reality of where they stand before you, and that if um, that today would be the day that they bow their knees before the one who died for them and gave their life for them. We just pray this in Jesus' name.